before we get into today's show, I have some great news. So uh, basically through this entire show, I'll be telling you that I don't have audio from a webinar with a couple of Pac-12 coaches from earlier today. I was wrong. So the recording thing didn't work, but I uh, stopped recording this podcast and then I realized I had an email from the Pac-12 with the full audio. So I'm just going to uh, drop that at the end. Ignore all the times I say I do not have it. I do have it and it will play uh, about, let's see, what are we? We're 40 seconds in. It'll play probably around the 27, 28 minute mark, I would guess. Uh, maybe like 30. So if you're only here for that, skip ahead to there. If not, uh, here's the rest of the show. Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it! Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome into the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by Manscaped. I'm Henry Chisholm, and uh, let's just start by uh, talking about my afternoon so far. So uh, I just got off a conference call, or what they call a webinar, with Nick Rolovich, the Washington State head coach, David Shaw from Stanford, and then Clay Helton, the head coach at USC. Uh, it was pretty cool. Uh, they had some interesting insights. Nothing all that groundbreaking. I mean... Uh, I think Clay Helton said that he expects to have more clarity about the college football in six to eight weeks. I think David Shaw said he thinks that the conversations about how the season will end, um, whether it's just going to be a standard college football playoff, whether there'll be modified rules for getting into it because there could be a potentially shortened season. Uh, maybe you expand the college football playoff to eight teams just to make sure everybody gets a chance since you're only nine games to separate everybody, all 130 teams leading up to that point. Um, kind of interesting to hear that he thinks that's the timeline, but, uh, no real groundbreaking news there. Um, here's the deal with that call. Um, there's actually going to be more of those calls, three pack 12 head coaches every day, um, talking for 15 minutes with Yogi Roth and then 15 minutes taking questions from the media. Uh, that's going to happen happen today. Tomorrow will be Carl Durrell, notably. Uh, that's Tuesday. Then there will be more Wednesday, more Thursday. The plan was to uh, throw the audio from those calls at the end of these podcasts the way I was with the uh, Rick George calls. Um, turns out my software... Actually, I'm not really sure what went wrong. Um, maybe you just can't use it to record Zoom audio, except I used it to record Zoom audio before and it worked. I think maybe when you use the video, because I record the video. The, end of the story, I have all of the video from that call, none of the audio. So I can't play today's. I will get that figured out for tomorrow so that we'll have Carl Durrell. Thank goodness he wasn't today. But uh, it was kind of interesting. I'll touch on some of the things we learned there. Um, 
I mean, I like enjoyed it, but there honestly isn't too much that is all that surprising to hear. Um, but we'll run through some of that. I also am starting a series at thedmvr.com where I'm basically projecting the buffs too deep depth chart um, because we didn't get a depth chart out of spring ball because there was no spring ball. Uh, so in place of the one that the coaching staff would have released, I'm kind of throwing out my own um, based on how I see things going. The first one drops Sunday. The next one will be next Sunday. Uh, and the first one, I went through the offensive line. So it was uh, in the two deep starting left tackle, backup left tackle, starting left guard, backup left guard. Um, and then about a thousand words of my reasoning, uh, what could change, um, where there could be upsets, uh, some interesting competitions. And we'll dig into some of those on the podcast today too. Uh, we'll talk about the call. We'll talk about that. Um, and then uh, we won't hear from the coaches themselves because I screwed that up. But uh, we'll have those for the rest of the week. Um Kind of disappointed because that's kind of how I had this whole thing planned, but whatever. Uh, Before we do all that, though, I do have to tell you just a tiny bit more about our friends over at Manscaped. Uh, If you haven't heard, Manscaped is the best way to take care of any or all body hair. Uh, Use the Lawnmower 3.0. It'll get you all hooked up um, with whatever sort of trimming needs that you have. It'll fulfill all of them. Uh, They have plenty of other products as well. They have a ball deodorant. They have body wash and hair wash and all sorts of different stuff. Um, And if you use the code DNVR, then you can get 20% off your order from manscaped.com. That will also get you free shipping. It's a great deal. Take advantage of it. Um, And we appreciate that you do. All right. Time to talk about this offensive line. Um, I want to start with this. After having sat down and thought through all the different combinations, you know, guys who could switch positions, guys who could, you know, impress in camp and take a job, or guys who maybe were put into roles that they weren't ready for last year. Um, You know, there's a bunch of different ways that this could shake out, and I really like a lot of them. Um, I really like the bones of this offensive line. And, and, you know, we saw last year with Chris Kapilovic at offensive line coach. First of all, we saw a lot of improvement. And um, when we're talking about this offensive line, you cannot forget that there's been a change in the coach. Um, Chris Kapilovic, I think, did a great job. I was really impressed with what he did with that line um, early in the season in the ways that he tweaked things, that he changed things. And then a few weeks into the season, once he had his group of five guys he wanted to roll with, Um, how we saw those five guys progress, and also how we saw him fit in other players when somebody got hurt. I think he handled all of it very well. I was very impressed. Um, And there are some big shoes to fill for Mitch Rodrigue, who is the new offensive line coach coming in here, and there really isn't much of a book on him. Um, I don't even know that he has a Wikipedia page now I think of it. I think at first he didn't. He might by now. But that has to be where you start and say a lot of what we know, maybe we throw out the window. I mean, Will Sherman took huge strides um, and looked like he could be a, a draftable prospect after his junior year in 2020. Um, I, I still think that that's there. I still think that all these guys are what they were last year at least, but it is worth keeping that little asterisk in your brain that maybe... Um, 
maybe Rodrig, we, we do see a step back with him. Um, I'm not saying I expect that by any means, but the truth is we just don't know how things are going to play out and we can't just be total optimists. We have to realize that things could not go the way that they did last year. Okay, but looking at the actual pieces, there's a lot to like because a lot of this line is coming back. We know Will Sherman will be involved. He'll be at one of the tackle spots. We can talk about which one later on. Also at tackle, I, I think Frank Phillip is a guy who you've got to be pretty confident in. I, I have him as one of the starters. I think he's got to be the favorite to be the second starting offensive tackle opposite Will Sherman, whichever side they wind up playing. Um, you know, he played a little bit as a freshman, got into a few games, uh, looked good. I think he was actually the third freshman in CU history to start at uh, tackle, offensive tackle. So for the third time ever, uh, a, f- a true freshman started left tackle, or either tackle spot, and it was him. Um, didn't play much last year. Obviously, Will Sherman, Arlington Hambright, who got drafted, manned the tackle spots for the Buffs. But uh, that's that's a name that you're probably going to hear a lot of going forward. Um, there are some other options behind Phillip, who is now a sophomore, a redshirt sophomore, um, you know, Austin Johnson will now be back as a redshirt freshman. He got a lot of praise from coaches last year. I want to say he was the scout team player of the week on the offensive side of the ball four times last season. So once in every three weeks, he got that uh, title. That's a good look. Um, maybe he is ahead of schedule and ready to go. He'd be 19 right now. Uh it's early, but if he can really play, then he can play, and that's what matters. Uh, Frank Phillip, again, only one year older. He has more experience, um, and I think that when you're looking at these battles specifically between younger players, not having spring camp is really going to hurt whoever is the younger of the two. Um, once you get up into the – if there's a junior and a senior battling for the job, it kind of hurts both of them, but uh, – I mean, it'll hurt the junior more because if you look at it in terms of just time practicing, um, that's a higher proportion of their total time playing college football. But for the most part, it's going to be, you know, now Frank Phillip will be, I guess this would have been his second camp, I believe. I don't think he was an early enrollee, um, which means that, you know, this this would have been second. He's only been to one. You look at Austin Johnson, who's been there one less year. Instead, he's never been to a spring ball camp before. Um, And sure, there's still the fall ball. There's still like the in-season stuff. um, But really, that's about a third of your football work for the year. And to be missing a third of your work when you've only been here for, I mean, this is going to be the second year, that's a a lot of time that you're giving to the person who's in front of you. So Frank Phillip, I think, is more likely to land this job than he would have been if there had been a spring camp. And uh, that's why I have him as the other starter. Also worth noting, though, that Jake Ray from Marietta, Georgia, one of the most exciting prospects, I think, that the Buffs signed uh, in the 2020 class, he'll be on campus this fall, and he's already pretty well built for his age. Again, that would would surprise me if he's, uh, honestly, if if he is the number three tackle, that would surprise me. I think that he's got to be four, may even slip behind that spot. But uh, worth worth keeping his name in mind um, as we go through this process. Uh, also, when you look at the interior, there's some experience there. So Philip, sure, he only has, I, I believe, two starts. Um, they came a, two years ago, but at least he does have some 
uh, experience, which is you know pretty rare for a sophomore offensive lineman, a redshirt sophomore offensive lineman. But uh, inside, you really have a lot of things you like. Um, at the guard spots, there's going to be a battle. Uh, Kerry Cooch, uh, Colby Purcell, Casey Roddick, all three of them have starting experience at guard, and they're only two guard spots. Maybe one could kick out to tackle, likely put him at right tackles, get a little extra run blocking over there. Seems unlikely, though. I think that just because you have somebody like Phillip who can hold down that job has the upside to improve as he's doing that job. Um, and then also improve heading into his two more seasons after this season, you know, he'd be a three year starter if he takes it this year. Um, I think that that's all intriguing. Plus he's more of a traditional tackle. So you aren't changing things by putting a guard at a tackle spot, which in some offenses is easier than others. We haven't seen much of Carl Durrell's offense. Um, so we'll kind of have to see what that looks like. Um, that is a possibility though. And we'll talk about the centers here in a second. Um, I don't know if Casey Rock, Colby Purcell, uh, Kari Cooch can, uh, snap the ball if they've ever done stuff like that. But, uh, I, I think that there is a chance that one of them could move inside to center, but we'll talk about center more in a bit. Um, also want to say Chance Lytle is still there. Uh, they have missed his guard, but I, I think he's six seven three twenty. That uh, that's more of a tackle build. Um, so you could see Chance get kicked out to that tackle job as well. Um, I don't think I've said the classes. Cooch is a senior. Purcell's a junior. Roddick a senior, uh, and then uh, Lytle's a junior. So you got. Two seniors, two juniors, really competing for two guard spots. Uh, it's going to be competitive. And again, you're you're likely starting a sophomore, I think, at center, a sophomore at tackle. Maybe you play these guys out of position instead of the young guys. That'll be a conversation the coaches will have when the time comes. Um, but that's 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 kind of where those groups stand. Um, so, Cooch started every game at guard. I think left guard last season. Purcell started four. Uh, Roddick started two games. Um, and I just realized Roddick is definitely a sophomore. He's not a senior, like I said before. I'm not sure how that happened. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, that's what you're looking at. They're, they're really those guys competing. Um, again, you have Cooch who started every game last year. I think you got to give him the left guard spot. Uh, just keep him there. Purcell, Roddick, Lytle likely competing for the right guard spot. Again, Purcell started over Roddick last year. Makes you think that Purcell will start over Roddick this year. He also started over Lytle there. Um, so I think that you're likely bringing back those two guards, Cooch and Purcell. And then inside at center, things get really, really tough. Um, Josh Gines, the... The sophomore is who I picked to go as center. Um, it's tough, though. It's really tough. You know, Carson Lee is going to be there. Um, he'll be competitive for that job, I believe. And again, Car Carson is a true freshman, which would mean that it'd definitely be an upset if he were to win that job. It'd probably be an upset even if he wound up number two on the chart, even though I do think that that's where he will shake out at the end of this. Um you know, the, the reasons for the, that lag year that you typically have with offensive linemen, you know, it's rare that you have somebody start at offensive line um, as a true freshman just because you have to build size, build strength, and uh, it, it takes some time to compete with 
22 year olds, 23 year olds when you're only 18, you know, getting to 19, getting through a full year of practice that typically puts you in a much better spot to compete once it's your time to be out there on the field on offense. But with Carson, you know, he's been working with McChesney. So he's been on the field a lot. He's been on the field with NFL football players. Um, he's he spent a lot of time around the game. He isn't somebody who really needs to be taught as much as um, most of those offensive linemen who go in there likely would. And that's part of it. But, but the biggest reason I think Carson could surprise some people, maybe even make a run for the starting job, is that he has already built the size and not only has he built the size, he's kind of refined the size. Um, I talked to him uh, a, a ways back when he said that uh, he's actually been as heavy as about 337 pounds, which is really heavy. But he put on the weight because he wanted to try putting on the weight. He was in contact with the Buffs coaches throughout the whole process. And they've kind of just tested him at a bunch of different weights. He's tried playing center at 337. He's tried at 325 at whatever, all the way down to 300. Um, and because he's kind of gone through that process and kind of seen where he's at his best, uh, the, the answer is 312, by the way. They've decided that they want him at 312. Or at least I think that was the last coaching staff who said 312. So something might change there. Um, but you know, he's had that time to really experiment, see where he feels most comfortable. And that's something that most high school offensive linemen don't get to do. That's something that's kind of introduced to them in college, you know, in that first year, in that freshman year, when you're kind of feeling everything out. Uh, so that's why I included him as the number two. I don't think you can move him up to number one. Uh, Heston page, uh, is, is the other, uh, option at center and the weird thing about these centers is that none of them have played uh josh shines hasn't played much at all heston page has been and i don't think he's taken a snap on offense um he's also not on scholarship uh and as much as i don't want to say you know not being on scholarship isn't that doesn't mean everything it doesn't mean you can't play football that's really all we have to work off of at this point you know we haven't i i haven't they haven't held practices so that people could say, you know, Heston Page at center sure has looked good. Um, practices last year weren't open to the media, um, which is, I mean, that's not me taking a shot, by the way. Uh, but they're not open to the media, so we can't see for ourselves what Heston Page looks like. Um, the, the We haven't seen him play uh, in games, so we don't get to pull from that. You know, Josh Gines, he hasn't played much at all either, so we really haven't seen much there. We're kind of just going off of narratives, and... I hate that. And luckily for the other positions, we don't have to do that nearly as much. Um, that's kind of where we're stuck here. And that's why that center spot is honestly just kind of strange, especially because you remember that, you know, maybe Casey Roddick is ready to play now, even though he's blocked at guard. So you push him inside to center. Um, maybe Austin Johnson is ready. And maybe that means that Frank Phillips starts at tackle. Austin Johnson moves into right guard and Purcell moves to center. You know, th those are all the combinations that they have to work out. And I think the the tough position to project really is that center spot. Um, William Sherman, Frank Phillip, I'm pretty confident those are the tackles. Kari Cooch, I'm pretty, pretty confident that he's going to be one of the guards. Um, Purcell would be my pick over Roddick for the other guard, um, but you never know. Then those centers... You just don't really know, and that can kind of move all sorts of different guys around. So 
that's kind of how I see it right now. If you guys have any takes, if you guys think I overlooked somebody who could be making a run this year uh, at a starting spot, uh, let me know. Uh, we all have different guys who we view differently. So hit me up with those takes. Uh, I'm not sure what we're going to talk about next. We will do this again on Monday, next Monday, after I drop the second part of the series that uh, uh, is the projection of the two deep depth chart. Uh, before we talk about the call that I was just on uh, with Nick Rolovich and Clay Helton and uh, David Shaw from Stanford. But before we do that, I want to tell you about our friends over at Breckenridge Brewery. Um, if you guys still haven't checked out Breckenridge beers, you really have to. They're the best you're going to find. They're great price. I mean, they have their own version of everything you could like, whether you're into the porters or just the American Amber Ales. Uh, they just have everything and they do it better than anybody else that I have tried. Um, really just appreciate all of the different ways that they've supported us. And we hope that you guys are supporting them too, the way that all of us at DNVR are. Um, their farmhouse is still open, serves great food. Um, they'll deliver to a lot of the Denver metro area. So if you don't want to go out, that's a great way to support a local business and feed your family. Uh, if you use the code DNVR, you can actually get $5 off your meal from the farmhouse. Uh, again, can't rec recommend them enough. Uh, when you order from the farmhouse, you can also order their beers. Uh, sometimes they'll have specials that include some beers with your meal. So definitely be paying attention to what they have because they've had some great deals on there during this quarantine. Um, and if you're only interested in the beer, you can always just go to the website, go to their beer locator, and it'll tell you everywhere where you can find a Breckenridge beer and what types of beers they'll have um, at wherever you're going, whether it's a liquor store or a grocery store, whatever. Um, just an incredible partner of ours. And uh, you should check them out if you get a chance. Uh, also want to tell you about WGT. So WGT, the World Golf Tour, is an app that was produced by actually somebody who was a DMVR listener. Well, he was part of the team. That's kind of how this all started. We've been in touch for so long. It seems like we've been talking about potentially getting WGT into some big deal. Um, and now we figured something out. Now, every Sunday... There will be a DNVR golf tournament through the app on your phone, and so far they've been a lot of fun. Uh, I don't know exactly how many people have been entering, but I guess that it's at least 100. Um, it's so much fun to see where you shake out. Uh, so far, I have embarrassed myself, but, you know, I'm just not good at that game, and I think a lot of you could probably get a lot better at it quickly, um, even though I actually couldn't. Uh, it's a lot of fun. If you go to dnvrgolf.com right now, then you can download WGT Golf uh, right now. Um, that's the official gaming partner of DNVR. It's the most popular golf game in the world. Join our clubhouse. That's how you do it. You just go to the clubhouse page, or I think it's actually Country Club. Um, search DNVR, and you'll have a chance to join us and play with us, and it's all totally free and just a lot of fun. Okay, uh, into this phone call now. Um, I kind of mentioned some of the key points earlier, anything that was kind of newsy earlier. Uh, there really was not a whole lot in terms of like facts and that sort of thing. Um, like I said, uh, David Shaw says he thinks that the 
conversations with the college football playoff committee, the conferences, the NCAA, trying to figure out how the season will end. He thinks that those conversations will start in about a month or a month and a half. That's how he said it, at least. And that's actually a really important conversation. You know, that's where you, you get the coaches, you get the conferences, you get everybody on the same page about what we're actually doing here. You know, if and this is what they said, you know, if they actually do get a 12 game season in, uh, then then there's really no discussion that needs to be had there. But instead, if it is a shortened season and that kind of seemed like what they were leaning toward. Um, Rolovich see, seemed the most confident, I'd say, that there'd be a 12-game season, which makes sense. Um, you know, he, he is in Washington, where the COVID-19 has been pretty bad, but where uh, Pullman is, uh, where Washington State is, there have only been 19 cases in the county, and so they've really not been affected by it, and so I get how the Heat feel a bit different than the coaches who are in California, but... I mean, they didn't say they didn't think it was going to happen, but my read on it was that they were a little bit pessimistic, um, especially compared to Rolovich. But uh, essentially what Shaw said was, you know, that's that's when we make all those decisions. You play a conference schedule only. Well, how are we going to decide who makes the college football playoff? Do we consider canceling conference championships and instead expanding the college football playoff? That's totally on the table, and that's what it sounds like. Um, it's tough to get a read on what seems most likely, especially because they honestly don't have strong feelings about what is most likely, just like the rest of us. It's kind of just wait and see. And, you know, to, to hear that they're a month or a month and a half away from that decision, you know, that's a pretty big decision, or maybe not a decision, but at least them starting that conversation, uh, figuring out what the season actually looks like. Um, and then... Uh, I believe it was Clay Helton who said he thought it'd be about six to eight weeks before the the picture really started to get clear about what is going to happen with the 2020 college football season. Um, the the talks from there kind of turned into what are the concerns going forward? What has been tough? Uh, they, they mentioned that it's kind of tough to install a game plan. Rolovich in particular really emphasized how important his time has been for him to connect with his students and student athletes and get to know them, start to build relationships there because he, he said he didn't feel like there was too much football work you really could do. And you can do a little bit of install, he said, but he didn't think you could get too much done. But what you can do is spend a lot of time talking to these guys, getting to know them, making sure they trust you um, and, and building those relationships, which are important, especially for a first year head coach um, like uh, Rolovich is after coming over as head coach at Hawaii uh, before this. Um, also, I love that guy. I, I haven't said that yet, but he pulled up. He actually pulled up to the uh, Zoom call uh, with a cougar next to him. Like he was he was intentionally sitting off to the side of, of his screen. He, you kind of see like some of his face and he'd like lean in because on the other side of him uh, was a big stuffed cougar. Uh, he said he named it Sharon. Uh, he, he was hilarious. He was a lot of fun with uh, David Shaw uh, and uh, Clay Helton. Um, I will say that they spend a lot of time talking about how the coaches in the Pac-12 have good relationships and how important it is and how they all kind of realize that the Pac-12 isn't where it was going to be. And that wasn't that wasn't 
prompted. Nobody said, you know, the Pac-12 sure has looked tough or been in a tough spot. Um, how do you go about that? No, I, I think it was David Shaw who brought it up himself and said, we aren't where we need to be. And we understand that all of us have a role in getting us back there. And that's why we're supporting each other. We're talking to each other. We're friendly. Um, they really do get along. And, and that's something that I hadn't picked up on all that much, that there is this closeness. Um, I think it's good. I think it's really good. I mean, part of me does wonder, like, you know, Nick Saban isn't going to be too friendly with the rest of the SEC, is he? Uh, he isn't going to be too friendly with Ed Ogeron when they're competing for national titles. But at the same time, maybe this is how you get to that point where everything is hyped up and that's how you start those deeper rivalries. Um, but the coaches really do seem to get along and be on the same page and really be working together to try to figure out how they can turn the Pac-12 into what I think we all think it should be. Um, I think those are most of the big points. Um, it's always just kind of fun to hear them talk and Rolovich cracking his jokes. Um yeah, I can't think of much else that I really need to share. I've gone through all my notes. Well, I guess that means it might be a podcast. Uh, I will be back tomorrow. It'll be a little bit longer because I will have the audio. I'll test on some Zoom calls to figure out what went wrong and uh, get that solved. And then you'll hear from Carl Durrell as well as Kyle Whittingham from Utah and... I believe Jimmy Lake from Washington. I think it is Jimmy Lake from Washington. In particular, they're all going to be talking about um, what it's like having to replace quarterbacks and other important players after they leave. So it'll be interesting to hear uh, from from Carl Durrell what it really is like when so much of the offense was built around LaVisca Chenault last year. And, uh, you know, you're replacing the quarterback, too. So you really have to build from the ground up. You're losing your strengths. Um, and on top of that, it's not like he was controlling the rest of it. You know, he this is his first year as coach. He wasn't even in charge of what was going on before. So it's going to be a bit of a task uh, for him. Um, but I'm excited to hear what he has to say about it, as well as the other two, of course. Um, appreciate all of you for listening. If you have any comments, any thoughts, um, you know, all that kind of stuff feel free to leave those in the comment section of the post for the day for today's show at the dnvr.com and i will get to all of those tomorrow when we talk about what carl durell had to say and the first time i think i've heard from him in probably about a month um so i'm excited hopefully you're excited too we will meet back here at this time tomorrow and, uh, hosting these webinars will be Yogi Ra, uh, our Pac-12 Networks Analyst, and the first webinar will feature Stanford coach David Shaw, USC coach Clay Helton, and Washington State coach Nick Rolovich. So at this point, Yogi, I'll turn it over to you. Um, after about 15 minutes, then we'll take questions from the media, and the media, when I prompt you uh, at the bottom of your screen, there'll be a raise hand signal at the bottom. Just select that, and uh, we'll put you in the queue, and we'll ask questions. So Yogi, go ahead. Excellent. Thank you very much. Coaches, thanks for coming. Uh, be remiss if we didn't welcome Sharon to the show as well. Sharon, uh, thanks for coming. Yeah, if you're curious who's next to Coach Rolovich, that is that uh, amazing animal right there. And thankfully, hopefully it doesn't come alive. Um, but we've all, been, uh, we've all been living a different life as of late. And I want to take these 15 minutes and dive into things that just happened from the spring meetings, but also what's going on in everybody's real life. So when I was preparing for this, I was like, wow, two of you guys grew up with fathers who were coaches and coach Rolovich, your dad was a firefighter. Yeah. And they all mentored you in different ways. I'm curious for each of you and coach Shaw, I'll start with you, but how have you taken the principles from your dad that you learned from him as a coach and applied them to now leading all these young men 
during this really unique time in their world and everybody's really around the globe? Well, that, I mean, I could take the whole 15 minutes. I'll be very quick. Uh, my dad, before my first internship, before my first job in, in football, just said, you know, and just basically be yourself. And that's the advice you give all the time. But what I, what I learned, what he was really talking about was in order to truly engage with your players, for them to listen to you, you have to be authentic. You have to be yourself. You have to be honest. You have to be open. You have to be accessible. Um, for all of those years that he coached and I watched all these guys 20, 30 years come back to him and thank him for the influence they had both in their, their football lives and their non-football lives. Um, it's because he was real. He's he real with them. He was honest with them. He was open with them. And that's the thing I take into everything, which is I'm not going to try to be like somebody else, uh, uh, but I'm just going to be myself and I'm going to be who, who I need to be to reach my players and know that they can, they can always talk to me and, and take some constructive criticism. At the same time, I'll be the first to celebrate with Excellent. Coach Helton, how about you? During this time, how have you leaned on some of the things you've seen? Yeah, you know, Dad was a tremendous relationship builder. Uh, he knew how to coach guys really hard, but also loved them along the way. And he always uh, told me the importance of building those relationships and building that trust. And, you know, how do you build trust? He taught me to build trust, one, through a man's character, two, being competent and knowledgeable in what you do to help develop young men, three, show them care and concern, and then four, be honest with them at all times. Be brutally honest to help them grow and, and let them know to be coached is to be loved. So the relation aspect of the game I think is, is critical, especially in today's time. Right now with what we're going through, they got to know that you care. Excellent. Coach Rollo? Yeah, my dad was a fireman. He taught me well, – one of his sayings was – Never eat soup in the rain, you'll never finish, which has been good advice moving forward. Um, the other thing he always says was it's all in your head. It's all in your head. It got me into visualization. And, and really, if you put your mind to it, you can, you can make some stuff happen. So, Yeah, that's well said. I, I think it's been masterful just connecting with different coaches in this conference and your staffs of how you've been making sure your guys are right <laughs> mentally because they're not next to you. Like this sport, we're always around each other. So for Coach Shaw, you've been in this conference for a while now. You weren't around your fellow coaches at the spring meetings. What was that like if you gave us some insight into those meetings? And then coming out of it, everybody has the same question. Like, when are we going to play? Like, what, what were the discussions like? Because I'm sure they were broad and in-depth around that thought. Well, I think Woody Dixon's done a great job of leading and guiding uh, a lot of different conversations we've had to have both with our coaches and then with our working group that we have. And um, what I love about our conference, honestly, is our engagement. Our guys can talk to each other. Um, there's a lot of mutual respect. There's a lot of guys coming from a lot of different angles and things that I come in thinking one way and then Clay brings something up I'm like, oh, I didn't think of it that way. And um, Chip Kelly brings, hey, think about this way. And so I think we've got a really good group of guys that first of all, love the sport and want the sport to be played at a high level. And there's a lot of mutual respect to say that, gosh, if we can all find a way to get back, let's all contribute to a way to get back at some point in time. So um, I think our, our meetings have been very productive and I think we've all given and we've all learned a lot. Um, I think we're, we're in a good position right now to handle whatever happens as far as national and local governments say and our, all of our individual schools. But um, I think our conversations have been really really good we've got a lot of bright guys a lot of great ideas and hopefully we put ourselves in position to handle whatever comes our way 
Yeah, totally agree with that. Coach Helton, um, we were told that you guys were able to talk to a doctor from the University of Washington, I believe, and they talked about the testing and the protocols, like when we are able to, if able to, to get back together. What did you learn about that? What can you share about that reality if it comes to be? Yeah, the, the one thing that uh, I was very appreciative of is how much care and concern foremost is going into the student athletes and, and the staff members of when we do get the opportunity to report back that the number one priority is the health and the safety of those that are involved. And that's what I took away um, from the amount of detail from testing to being able to have secure environments to be able to meet, to practice, and all the meetings that are being had. It was just an unbelievable wealth of knowledge um, that was being thrown at us. And it, and it also shows you how grand a scope and how big a project um, that this is going to be uh, as we uh, get back into that safe environment. So, you know, I, I walked away from it going, wow, um, there are some brilliant people uh, that are really diving into this, that are formulating a plan, uh, and just an appreciation that the health and safety of our student athletes is priority one. Yeah, no, it's fascinating just to hear about like all the layers to this thing. I mean, it's not as though you could show up on campus and then just go play. Uh, mm -hmm. Coach Rollo, I'm sure you hoped that was the case when you became the head coach, but you haven't had a ton of time around your guys, but you were able to get to know them a little bit early on when you were there. How have you been able to stay connected? Because you've gone through tragedy. You had a player and his family, Renard Bell, had COVID-19. Curious the, the ways in which you've been able to do that. Well, as much as we can through Zoom, but it's really allowed us to focus on those personal relationships. We can't do a lot of football stuff. I mean, we could install some, some, but it's more about – it gave us real time to concentrate on getting to know who our guys are and let them figure out who we are as people. And, you know, I think it's been productive and just excited to get on the field when we can. Yeah, no, couldn't agree more. Uh, Coach Shaw, scenarios, like we read about a lot of them. What – or the processes that you guys went through in those meetings about talking about, okay, perfect world, we're back tomorrow. Unrealistic. Shorten season, push season. If you can glean some insight into the scenarios that we've seen, I'd love to hear a few of them. Yeah, I mean, that once again, that's a long conversation. We've had a lot. I'm on the working group as well as talking to the coaches. And uh, there's so many. But the, the most important thing is Clay hinted towards and talked about very specifically what is the safest way to go about doing what we want to do? And we have to have processes that we that are vetted by our medical professionals and that we have to have contingency plans. So we start with what makes the most sense, what's the best way to do what we're going to do. If you have a, a completely open campus, that's one thing. If you have a partially open campus, what can you do with your students and your student athletes? Um, how can we get them back in the weight room? What's the process of being, bringing people back together anyway? What's the quarantine look like? What, is the what does the testing look like? Uh, many of us believe that the testing is going to be different two months from now than it is now. Um, the, the, the rapid diagnostic testing is something that's got to be vital to us reincorporating people back into one area, one small area. If someone is, does test positive, we got to find out quickly and isolate them very quickly. Um, so those things have to be in place before we can go to step two. Um, but at the same time, we have to talk about step one, step two, step three, step four, in order to be ready for uh, the eventuality of us getting back together. And if something does happen, we have to have talked about it, met about it, talked to professionals about it, and have a process in place for whatever happens when we start to reincorporate our people back on campus. 
Yeah. I mean, there's so much just on the front end, Coach Helton, but do you guys talk about like even the back end too of, okay, well, what would the playoff look like? Should it be expanded if we only play nine conference games? What's up with the draft? Like, are those conversations happening or is it just all about like, how do we just get to step one right now? No, those conversations have been had. You know, I, we're all optimistic as, as coaches. I think we're half, half class full people and we're optimistic about a season. We don't know what that timing is of, of a start date and we don't know the structure, but we've been talking about all different scenarios uh, about uh, the opportunity maybe to starting on time, the opportunity maybe it's pushed back, you know, the opportunity maybe it's more of an abbreviated conference schedule. Um, what does the playoff look like? All those discussions are being had. Now not only with the, with in conference meeting with the head coaches, but the commissioners and the NCAA to put together the best structure we can uh, for a season. I think at the end of the day, you know, what I've taken away from coaches is I think we're all going to have a tremendous gratitude, whatever that structure is, to be able to play the game that we love and to feel fortunate enough that if we're in that scenario – that this virus and this crisis has been put a little bit further behind us. And so I think there's a, a, a amount of gratitude that goes to having the opportunity to play the game that we love. Uh, we'll find out probably six to eight weeks from now what a clearer picture is of that start date, that structure, how the end of the season is, that relationship with the NFL and how it plays into that and to their timeline and calendar. But right now there is a lot of unknown. Uh, but the discussions and the meetings are happening weekly, uh, uh, hourly, to be honest with you, uh, about what that looks like. Yeah, so many smart people in the room. Coach Rollo, up where you live, I believe there's only been 19 cases in the county which you guys reside. What's the process been like regarding being in the state you're in, yet at the region you're in, COVID-19 has not overtaken it like it has in other parts of the Pactual footprint? No, it, it hasn't, which has been a, a blessing for the people here and our students that are still here. Um, it's just one of the strange realities of our current situation is some areas are affected more. And state lines, you know, um, Trump kind of regions, I think, at this point. So, you know, we're, <clears throat> we're all in with Washington and, and, you know, I think everyone's trying to do the right thing. We've just been, you know, we haven't had it as bad as some other regions of, of the West Coast. You know, unfortunately, Coach Rolla, you haven't been able to go to the spring meetings in person. So I got to ask the two guys that have been in the conference for a while, have you, you given any advice to Coach Rolo in his first year coming into this conference? Don't give me that ninth green at 9 p.m. deal. I know that trick already. <laughs> uh, well, I'll say, I'll say this. Uh, you know, I, I thought what an unbelievable hire by Washington State, you know, to have a Mike Leach that's an offensive-minded, brilliant guy, big personality. And soon as Rolo was hired, it was like, wow, what a what an awesome fit. You know, you're talking about an extremely brilliant offensive guy uh, that has uh, a, also a, a personality that's big, that relates to kids. And as soon as you saw that go across the wire, you were like, man, that's a really neat hire. That's a really good fit. So, Rolo, don't change, man. Be yourself, just like Coach <laughs> said. You, you, you got there for a reason, being you. Do Thanks, the same bro. thing, Appreciate bud. That. I love it. Coach Shaw? I would just say go after all those records, man. All those Mike Leak records, man. Break them all. <laughs> <laughs> you know, pre preferably, preferably against Clay and not me. <laughs> go ahead and break them all. I love that. All right, so Coach Rollo, I got to ask, and Coach Shaw and Coach Shaw, you may know this already, but in your previous job, uh, at least the legend is that you'd show up at Media Days, which will be virtual here this year in the Pac-12, but you would show up at Media Days and you would bring a gift for every coaching 
staff or every head coach from yeah. the region which you came from. Do you plan on doing it at the Pac-12? And if so, can we get a little insight into what you might be gifting these two other head coaches? Well, I think it was a really – I think it was – it was a small thing, but the coaches that bought in, it really gave us a camaraderie. I think that Coach Shaw spoke about um, about this conference already. Um, and it helped us uplift the whole conference, I think. And um, I would probably bring – I would probably bring some Cougar Gold cheese if I was going to do it this year. But um, guys got into it, and I think it kind of lightened it up a little bit and kind of gave us all kind of a human – um, element that maybe we're not always able to, to put out there. So it was, it was good. And when, when we get back to the meeting in person, I think we'll get something going. All right. I love that. Well, I got an idea for you. I busted this out. I got my, I brought my, got a, got a hat. And nice then I figured you get a little tape, just like you did right there. all around town. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I saw you do that on, on the internet, which I was great. Uh, <laughs> but overall guys, we could talk forever. There's a ton of detail. This thing flew by. I know the rest of the media is standing by over, I believe a hundred members are here. So I'll get out of the way and Dave Hirsch will be bringing you questions from different media members. Dave, take it away. All right. Thanks, Thanks Yogi. All right. We'll go ahead and take questions from the media. And again, if you have a question, please select the raise hand tab at the bottom of the screen to put you in the queue and then we'll go ahead and take the questions. So the first one up will be Dennis Dodd. Dennis, go ahead. Okay. Can you hear me guys? Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I guess for, for Clay and, and David, what uh, I don't know what the, the verb is, but what level level of concern do you have that uh, you know California will be open in time, along with everyone else to to start the season in concert? Uh, well, I can go first, Dave, if that's okay. I, um, you know, obviously there, there's a, a lot of unknown out there, and like I said earlier, uh, Dennis, I really think we're going to get a lot clearer picture about six to eight weeks from now. You know, uh, we all are glass half full guys. I think we're all optimistic in having the opportunity uh, to play a season um, and just not knowing, you know, what that start date looks like or what that structure looks like. Um, the one thing that uh, I have been encouraged by about all our meetings um, has been, you know, the discussions have been on a national scope. Everybody's got a different situation. Everybody could have, you know, the opportunity to – be back on campus with volunteer workouts or, 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 you know, some of us are, are still going through stay at home uh, orders. We're all in different scenarios, but the one thing I've been very appreciative of in the discussions has been the opportunity to start all together. Um, and just not knowing when that start date is or, or what that structure is going to look like. But I think we're all optimistic as the NCAA and as coaches to have that opportunity to play together. Yeah. David. Yeah, uh, Clay said it really well, and I, I've been encouraged also by, although our governor has been probably uh, one of the most outspoken and, and aggressive um, governors in the, in the nation, uh, he's also been in great communication with other states as well, to where, to Oregon and Washington in particular, and trying to trade ideas and talk about different things, um, and hopefully there are some regional things that do happen as we get closer to uh, the start of football to where uh, most of our states, if not all of our states on the West Coast, can kind of be on a similar timeline. Um, but at the very least, it's, it's comforting to know that they've been in communication. That's good. Thank you. Can I okay, next question will go to uh, Dirk Facer. 
Go ahead, Dirk. Your line may be muted. On mute, Dirk. All right, we'll go to the next one. We'll go to Elliot Allman. Go ahead, Elliot. Hi, I can, uh, hopefully you can hear me. I think I am muted. Um, good afternoon. Thanks for taking time, everybody. Uh, David, I would like to ask you, you uh, identify some of the issues with recruiting. Um, every, everything, kind of, because of the lockdown, you can't have these face-to-face, -face, you can't travel to campuses and see the kids, and you're, you're maybe having to sign guys sight unseen. What, are, what have been some of the issues for you on this? Well, you hit on a couple big ones. Um, you know, not being able to uh, talk to people face-to-face. -face. Um, I think, especially in our conference, uh, we've got some unbelievable campuses, and um, not being able to bring people on campus and show them around campus and show them where their dorms are going to be and show them the, the football aspect and the academic aspect, uh, in particular for a place like Stanford, which we think that's a strong suit for us, um, for, for the, the entire student athlete and being able to be on campus with all these great people. That's, that's something that we've missed. So I think all of us have gotten really good at Zooming, um, FaceTiming, et cetera, uh, being able to give them some kind of an experience with uh, all of our all of our people on campus, both our our, our football staff and our and our faculty. So um, that's been a challenge for us to make sure that we can still show all parts of our of our of our experience, athletic and academic, to our prospective student athletes. So I think it's forced all of us to be pretty get some ingenuity, um, be a little forward thinking, think a little bit outside the box, outside of some of our comfort zones. Right, most of us in the coaching profession hadn't heard of Zoom before a month ago. And now we're all experts. Uh, so I think we've all had to adapt uh, and adjust and make the most of the situation. Thank you. All right, next question we'll go to uh, Pete Arbogast. Go ahead, Pete. Let's see, am I unmuted now? Am I okay? You're okay, you're good to go. Awesome, hi guys, how you doing? Uh, I wonder if anybody has ever brought up a, a scheduling idea that I thought of from back in World War II. I'm not that old, but I know of it where uh, we, we eliminate non-conference games and play all 11 conference games uh, against the 11 conference teams uh, and then go to the championship game. Is that something that's been brought up? Yeah, I, I can answer. Um, yes, it, it's, it's been discussed in our Pac-12 meetings, um, and it's been discussed by the commissioners. That, that is one of the, the many structures uh, as we as we go through this situation in this crisis, that uh, the possibility of a all conference schedule um, that's that is one of the structures under discussion, depending on where we are at, you know, six to eight weeks from now. But uh, those are those are viable discussions, and it has been brought up in our meetings. And I'll throw on top of that, as Clay mentioned too, a little bit earlier, and that affects our bulls, that affects the CFP. So these are all big big conversations that we have in our conferences, but also we're going to take uh, Mr. Hancock and his group, the CFP, to really find out how, how best to, to finish this hopefully great college football season. Okay, next question we'll go to Ryan Carty. Go ahead, Ryan. Thanks, guys, for taking our questions. Um, for all three of you, uh, you know, the notion of playing in empty stadiums has been a scenario that's, that's been discussed for a lot of other sports. 
uh, college football obviously is, is pretty different in many ways from professional sports. How reasonable do you, do you guys think that would be to be able to play a game in an empty college football stadium? And what would be your biggest logistical concern in terms of keeping players safe, especially when you know it would be an admission that it might not be safe to have fans in the stands in that sense? Go start, Rolo. Uh, what do you want to know, Ryan? I think it'd save a lot of time on silent count practice. There's one. <laughs> uh, I think in general, if we feel it's safe enough to play, then I'd like to play. I, I don't necessarily, I know that the fans is the, is part of the experience. It's also part of the financial model. So, um, but that's not in my job description. So we're just trying to hopefully get some games this fall. Yeah, you know, Ryan, I, I think that the one thing, again, I, I've been very appreciative in all our talks with the Pac-12 as well as the NCAA and all the doctors is the health and priority uh, has been priority. I mean, health and safety of our student athletes has been priority one in the whole time. There's going to be a time period. We don't know when that's going to be when we, we can be back together as 110 men and staff members on top of that and go play the game we love. And I think when we're given the opportunity, whenever that time is, I think all of us as coaches, players, we're going to be grateful. Uh, don't know the start date of that. Don't know the structure. Don't know if it's going to have fans or, or not fans. That's the unknown. But I know we're going to be grateful to be able to play the game we love, and meaning that the virus is probably a little bit further behind us. When's the, when's the grand day of celebration? The grand day of celebration is when we're all back together. You know, when we're part of – Part of college football is the passion of the fans, and we love that. And that's going to be the celebration, whatever that time point is, when we're all back together in a, in a safe environment uh, to be able to all enjoy uh, the game. But I think, like I said earlier, I think when we do get the opportunity to put the ball down in a safe atmosphere, we're, there's just going to be a, a sense of gratitude among coaches and players um, that we get to play this game that we love. Okay, next question will come from Leo Haggerty. Go ahead, Leo, your line's open. Might need to unmute yourself. Gentlemen, gentlemen thanks for doing this today. Appreciate it. Uh, same question for all three of you. Start with Coach Rolovich and go south. Probably in your coaching career, you've never been away from your teams for this long for personal contact. What's the main thing you're really worried about when you finally get your team back together? Making sure that we give them enough time to get physically ready for a season. That's one of the things for me. Um, I actually think this, the positives of this, because these guys don't get a lot of time away from their, or away from the building with their family. I think we were going to try to find a way to get them a few more weeks um, with their families and, they got a little bit more than we talked about, but I think it's given them a good opportunity to reset, see what's what, why they're really doing it. And uh, but for me, it's it's them getting back and make us as coaches and administrators making sure they have enough time to get physically ready for a football season. Yeah, I would echo that sentiment. Also, uh, making sure that they're uh, physically ready, uh, making sure in the process before we even get there that our guys have the same community feeling that they had when they left and um, talking to psychologists and a lot of different people that this has been a tough time for a lot of guys. And 
trying to make sure that, yes, we're talking football when we get back to them, but at the same time that they know that we care about them, that, um, you know, we're glad they're with their families, but they miss their guys. They miss that, that camaraderie. And still trying to find ways to do that and keep that up. Uh, make sure they know that we care about them and that they're a big part of us and we're a big part of them um, so that when we get back together, we, we can all be physically healthy and, and mentally, emotionally healthy as well. Yeah, I, I think David and, and Rolo hit the nail on the head. It's the amount of time period between when it's safe enough to, for a whole 110 men to come back together with staff and the amount of time period that you're given even prior to a training camp to be able to one, get your, get your kids in physical, functional football shape, um, you know, prior to a training camp so you don't have soft tissue injuries, so you, so you don't have joint injuries, um, to prepare them, whether it's walkthroughs, strength and conditioning, OTAs, whatever you want to call it, those weeks that it's going to take to get them in functional football shape prior to going to a training camp that is uh, very fast and very physical. Um, that time period, it does take time uh, before you go and start a season. And uh, that's been the nature of a lot of our discussions and our meetings is, again, the health and safety of the player uh, and appreciative for that. But that's a big part uh, when we come back is their preparation for a season. All right, next question. We'll do a follow-up for Dennis Dodd. Go ahead, Dennis. Um, putting a new patio in, so excuse me if you can't hear um, wanted to ask all all three coaches what you know what they considered in their own minds to be I guess a legitimate playoff you know if there's only half the conferences participating um, is that valid if only some of the schools from some of the conferences are playing is that valid what what are your thoughts on that well that's a big question isn't it yeah um, you know, depending on what the schedule looks like, depending on how many people are playing, depending on who you're playing. If we go to a conference-only schedule, then how do you compare conference to conference? Um, that's why there have been a lot of discussions about, for this year, do we expand the playoff? Because we're not really going to know how to, how to whittle this thing down to four. Um, yeah. Whoever wins these conferences gets, a, gets an automatic bid. Um, if we're able to play 12 games somehow, some way, you know, great and it'll work its way out. So with so many unknowns, just like we talked earlier, I think talking about all the scenarios is really the only way that we're going to have any idea. But if we're able to play 12 and we can stay status quo, that's great. Many of us believe it's not going to be 12 and it's not, may not even start on time. So those other factors are going to affect um, however uh, the, the, the bowl season looks as well as the, the, the playoff. Yeah, that's been all our discussions. It's it's all dictated on the structure of the regular season, um, whether it's a 12-game or abbreviated, uh, that uh, makes the change in bowl or playoff structure. So um, I think, the um, like we've talked about in our meetings, just the structure of the regular season will dictate the postseason uh, and a lot of its discussion. Nick? In my mind, I'm planning on playing Utah State game one, so I don't really – I don't think too much. I don't have a comment really about that other thing you asked about. I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic about, you know, going with the 12 we got until they tell me differently. David, I know you're on some of these committees. Have you, have you guys had any direct conversations with uh, Bill Hancock? 
I have not personally. I know the, the commissioners um, have had initial conversations, and I think those conversations will advance, uh, as Clay said, especially in the next month and a half, where, where the season looks like it's going. So um, that's a little bit of, bit of bigger offices than ours have to deal with that to a certain degree. Um, but, uh, yeah, I know those conversations have at least started, but I think they'll get hot and heavy in about a month and a half. Okay, thank you. Yep. All right, we'll take one more question. We'll go to Jesse Morrison. Your line is open. Hi, um, this is for anyone who wants to take it, but uh, Mark Emmert said that uh, he needs to see um, campuses open, you know, for class and everything before he sees any sports. Um, I just wanted to get y'all's thoughts on um, on that that comment that he made. I think where we are is the definition of a fluid uh, situation. Um, I think every state, as Robo mentioned earlier, is going to be different. Um, every campus is going to be different. And um, I think that's a great sentiment, um, but I don't know that that's going to rule the day when it's all said and done. Um, I think the, the, the President of the United States is going to have a, a weigh-in. I think every state governor is going to have a weigh-in. I think every President, Provost, Chancellor is going to have a, a way in. Um, you know, there may be a scenario to where campuses are partially open. And if we can bring back athletes and bring back a section of the students, student body, that may not be exactly what Mr. Emmer was talking about, but that may be good for a certain university. And if they feel they're comfortable and ready to resume part of their normal activities and still field teams to, for, for fall sports, not just football, um, then I think that's going to be that's going to be acceptable. So um, we'll see. Once again, this is extremely fluid. I think they like my Colorado swag. Cause when I'm in it, play. I don't really, I don't really know just how to act. And when I'm in it, go. You know I'm acting bad. Holly get a bus with my Colorado swag. My Colorado swag. My Colorado swag. I think they like. I think they like my Colorado swag.